my understanding, it's called the, the Opportunity Agenda. Is that right? The Opportunity Agenda, a bold democratic plan to grow the middle class. Yes, uh, we wrote that book uh, with Winston Fisher, a businessman of New, out of New York City. Uh, worked on it for about a year and a half um, and just released it August 4th. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about what the Opportunity Agenda is. Well, the Opportunity Agenda is a book that focuses on key areas like education, transportation, and workplace benefits. But really what it's about is about building an economic opportunity for people who have not had access to those opportunities so that they can grow into or grow within the middle class. Uh, we find that for too long, Democrats have kind of turned to the same basic playbook big government solutions, and that promotes their vision for the future, but we really need a new strategy. And right now, uh, the strategy seems to be to talk about all the failures that Donald Trump and the Republicans have had, and and then to basically catch that rebound and, and move from there. But the real question is, you can't constantly rely on the mistakes that the other party makes. You must come forward with an agenda that truly addresses the needs of American people. People need quality childcare, they need quality pre-K, they need jobs, they need uh, the access to capital to start a business or to be entrepreneurs, they need to have pensions that they can take from job to job and not be relying on jobs for all of their benefits. Those are the things that we talk about. We talk about education and talk about opportunity for people to grow their own situation into something better than it currently is. What kind of advice would you give to uh, presidential candidate Biden and Kamala Harris, our vice presidential, I guess, presumed vice presidential nominee, um, in uh, kind of uh, promoting the opportunity agenda? That if they put the issues that are really problems for everyday Americans forward, if they focus on those things that really do have an impact on the day-to-day -day lives of people, and if they can change those situations for the better, then the Democratic Party can maintain power for quite some time. And why is that important? Because it takes a long time to do things and to start to really reduce poverty and to reduce crime and to make sure that our children can compete with other kids from around the world in an increasingly technological society. What we have is, is that one party gets in and does something or doesn't do anything, which is really more likely the case. Then they're out in eight years, and another party gets in and does the exact opposite of nothing that they were doing. And nobody focuses on the long-term issues that are really the bane of existence in this country. The great income divide, economic inequity, educational inequity, housing problems, infrastructure. All the things that need to be fixed never get fixed because nobody is there long enough with a consistent plan to actually work on them. It's all about politics. It's not about leadership. And it's certainly not about fixing the problems and the issues that really do bother uh, the American public. How do you think we get out of kind of that um, seesaw method of going from Republican to Democrat to Republican, what you were just talking about, to make some long-term changes. How, how do you think we can uh, kind of defy that um, terrible, destructive pattern that we're in? Well, 
there's one major problem that I don't think we're going to get over very fast, and that is the influence of big money in politics. Nonetheless, this coming term, there's a real opportunity for Democrats because I believe they have a real legitimate chance of occupying the House, the Senate, and the White House simultaneously. What if they were, during that period of time, those first four years, to do something to ensure that every child in this country had an opportunity to have quality early childhood education so that no, no kid in a, grade, in a kindergarten two years behind their peers? What if they did something to help build public-private partnerships so that people had a place where they could take their children where they were going to be nourished and safe and they wouldn't have to worry about it? And that's especially true for women because women are often the ones who are forced to make a decision. Do I take care of my children and stay home or, do I, or am I able to go out and follow a career or get a job? It's oftentimes and too often, frankly, it's one or the other. They should have the same opportunities as any man and anybody else to do both. Uh, and the only way that happens is if somebody is focusing on the real issues of child care. These things were made very, very clear during the pandemic. It is very clear where our, where our problems are, where our prisoners are in this society, where there's no economic equity. Uh, I think in Kansas City, of all the PPP that was given out, I think only like 44 of those went to black-owned businesses. That's criminal. Wow. That is. Where, well, and women and minorities have a hard time getting capital in order to maintain or start an entrepreneurial business or a small business. The things that we're talking about don't require a big major governmental program. What they do require is that there is somebody who is focused on trying to solve the problem and being willing to uh, negotiate, cooperate, and enter contracts on uh, public-private contracts with uh, businesses in order to solve some problems. Child care is a perfect example of where that could be done. Infrastructure in some instances is a place where that could be done. But one of the real places where it could be done is in the intermediate education area where business, particularly tech businesses, uh, manufacturing businesses would influence the curriculum and participate in the education of high school juniors and seniors so that they can leave high school in their senior year, get into that program, and within two years after that, they would have not only a, an associate's degree, but all the certificates of, of of a competency necessary to do something that they wanted to do and, and be making a good living without having to go to college and without all the debt that would be incurred. These things are all doable, but they're not being done because they do not fit the political profile of what the party wants to do. Now, it's my understanding from uh, reading a little bit about you and uh, some of your work is that you kind of uh, believe that local government lead the way and that the federal government and state government should support uh, local government. Am I correct on that? Well, I, it's not quite but close. Local government has to lead the way because the state and federal government aren't doing much for us. And if you want to see a true example of that, look at what the federal government is really doing in terms of, of the, uh, uh, the COVID uh, situation now. There is no national plan to fight this virus. There was some money that came out, and that's evaporated. Now they can't figure out what to do next. So the local people, the local government, we have to deal with the problems in front of us. We have to be the ones to deal with people who don't have health care. 
That's why we have two health levies, so that we can have, make sure that we're at least giving Truman Medical Center and other uh, uh, last resort facilities something so that they can help people who don't have health coverage. We are the ones that have to deal with joblessness on a real basis because we're not getting that much help from other places. Sergeant James, Sergeant James, if I could, uh, yeah. It's my understanding you don't plan to run for any other elected office. No, I do not have any plans to run for any other elected office. What would you consider, with the two terms that you were mayor, what type of legacy did you want to leave? Uh, you think the people should think of you as your top legacy? Well, you know, I don't. I didn't do things in order to create a legacy. I did things because they made sense. So I would tell you, though, the thing that I think I is most impactful for my a broad and long-term standpoint is the work that we did with Turn to Page KC, where we were working with children to increase third-grade reading level, because it's third-grade reading levels that are, to some extent, taken into account when people who build prisons determine how many prison cells to build. And it's also very important because the most common uh, reading level in prison is fourth grade. You learn to read up to third grade, and from third grade on, you read to learn. So if you haven't learned to read, then you're not going to learn. And those are the same kids, 75% of whom do not catch up. And those are the same kids that have much higher levels of uh, negative contact with the law. The ones that don't or fail to graduate at a higher rate than anybody that make a lot less money over the course of their lifetime and have shorter life expectancies because they did not have a foundation that was sufficient to allow them to compete in the society. So when we're talking about things, I think that we start with our kids. We really ought to be going back to zero when they're born and working with their parents to teach them about brain development. We need pre-K so that they don't enter kindergarten. Poor kids, brown kids, black kids, two years behind middle-class white kids. That's criminal. How, at the age of five, can you be two years behind anybody for anything? So that's certainly one thing. But we've also done some other stuff that I'm particularly proud of. We tackle the infrastructure. When I came into office in 2011, we were $6 billion behind on deferred maintenance on infrastructure. $6 billion. We finally were able to get an $800 million infrastructure geo bond passed. Those were things. We started doing things with transportation, taking cars off the street with the streetcar, which, by the way, is still free, which, by the way, is generating more tax revenue in the downtown area than any other place in the city by twice as much. Those are the things that I think were, were good. Uh, Google, when Google came to town, we tackled the digital divide working across in areas that were low on digital and broadband access by providing hardware, refurbished, and training classes Are you there? and starting to reduce that. So, yeah, we've, we've done a lot of things that I'm very happy about, but none of that was done for legacy. They were done because they made sense and they helped people. For the case of the people who just tuned in, we have the pleasure of speaking with a former two-term uh, mayor for Kansas, Missouri, uh, slide James, and we have uh, Bromwin attorney at law, Warner. She is the co-host, and we can continue this, and Mary, you don't have to go anywhere because we have people probably calling on the other line, and we need your input. Now, 
What about, what do you think going to happen at KCI? Going to happen at KCI? Yes. It seems to be kind of a, some people say they're doing some work, but they keep changing the prices or uh, new contracts. I don't know. You have to tell me. The prices haven't changed. They're on schedule. They're on budget. They haven't done anything that, that wasn't anticipated. The controversy comes because there are some people on the city council who like controversy, okay? I mean, I'll just I'll just lay it out there and say it the way I think it is. There are people who weren't in favor of it before the vote. They weren't in favor of it after the vote. They aren't in favor of it now. And there are people who just want to be involved in controversy. At the end of the day, KCI is on schedule, it's on budget, and it was desperately and still desperately needed. Attorney Warner? Yes, sir. Well, um, I was very impressed with, uh, with the book. I haven't had an opportunity to fully read it, but um, just, uh, you know, the five tenets of uh, child care for preschool kids, a focus on high school and college education infrastructure, which you show, you know, as mayor, uh, and then social contract and entrepreneurs. Tell us a little bit about what uh, what you mean by social contract. Well, what we mean uh, is, frankly, that there has to be access to capital and that there has to be a recognition that in the current system, uh, the capital is distributed in a disproportionately and inequitable way, and that the people left out of that distribution are uh, minorities and women. They are very, it is very difficult for minorities in particular, and women to, to a lesser extent, but still ridiculously difficult, to get the capital that they need in order to build businesses. Uh, that's a situation that hasn't changed. The, the social contract that we talk about is really a contract that is designed, that, that's really it's not a written contract, it is a moral contract designed to move society ahead by making sure that the resources are equitably distributed. We will all be better off if everybody has an opportunity to succeed. We don't know where the next uh, hallmark is going to come from or the next uh, sprint's going to come from or the next DST or the next cancer uh, drug is going to come from, they could be sitting someplace in the head of somebody who has no ability to actualize it because they can't get any money because of historic racism or historic gender bias. But at the end of the day, the social compact is a compact between us all to make sure that people are treated equitably and resources are distributed equitably and that everybody has an opportunity to grow into the middle class or grow within the middle class. And if we grow the middle class, we are per se reducing poverty. And if we want to reduce things like crime, reducing poverty and reducing crime go hand in hand with increasing the quality of our education. That's the problem that we have is that we try to attack things in these little discrete segments, but it's all related. If you have kids that are not getting what they need between zero and five, you spend the next 75 years of their life trying to make up for those mistakes. That's ridiculous. Let's not make the mistakes in the first five years so that they can be more productive moving forward. That's what, that's what all of what we're trying to say is. Also, uh, 
Roman, you may be an independent lawyer or in a firm. If you're in a firm, you may have access to a pension. If you're an independent lawyer, you may have set one up. But for a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't have the ability to set up a pension. And, and it's a one-person shop or two-person shop, and they're making money, but they're not making enough to really take care of that. There needs to be a system in place for portable benefits. Okay, I'd be remiss if I didn't introduce myself, M.C. Richardson. I'm the host and executive producer of Guests Who's Coming to Kansas City. And don't go anywhere, uh, former mayor. We should have one of the city council persons on the line, I would think. Uh, Scott, is that right? Uh, I have nobody, Mr. Well, MC. We'll continue, no problem. All right, are we going to continue? Are, are we breaking no, for something? No, no, continue. We'll go straight through. If that person happened, they will call the other number, which is 314-274-8839. But if not, we will continue because we have another caller. But let's take all this valuable time we can get out of uh, former Mayor uh, James because the person not only talk that talk, but he knew how to walk that walk, and we are very blessed to have him as a special guest. Absolutely. So, um, Mayor, where can we find your book, The Opportunity Agenda? Well, it's at bookstores. Uh, certainly at Barnes & Noble, I believe, in town has it, and some of the other smaller independent bookstores. But you can certainly get it on Amazon. Uh, I don't know if it's a Target, but Amazon certainly has it, and... Uh, you can go on the website and order it there. And uh, I hope that you do because it's a book yeah. that we, we really do believe in the basic tenets. And we really do believe that those are the types of things that if the Democratic Party focuses on, really focuses on, trying to solve problems for real people that they have every day, then they will build in that will support it because their needs will have been met. The reason Donald Trump was elected was because people didn't feel like Congress or the government was meeting their needs, and they figured, why not take a chance on this? Well, that's not worked out very well. Let's not make the yeah. same mistake twice. Right. He's somebody who doesn't observe the social contract, I think we can probably say. So, yeah. Hello? Fine. So, yeah. anyway... Um, but uh, it sounds like the pandemic is really, you know, demonstrating the validity of opportunity, um, of, you know, of your philosophy, the opportunity agenda. Am I correct about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the child care issue, you know, that's one of the problems with this whole we've got to get America open again, et cetera. And that's why Donald Trump is pushing to send kids back to school. Because if you send them back to school, the parents are free to go back to work if there's work to be done, which isn't necessarily true. But since the child care system is not up to snuff because of all of this, the only place where you can send kids where they're not going to have to be home and tying their parents to, uh, to the house is school. So that's why the big push is not that he really believes these kids need to be educated. I don't think he could care less. Educating those children isn't going to get him a vote. What's going to get him votes is trying to get people back to work so that he can then say that he's turned the economy around. It's pretty transparent, frankly, but that's the problem. 
the problem is that that's not a solution to the parents' issues and problems. That's a solution to a politician's issues and problems. Mr. Ramsey? Yeah, it's not nearly enough leadership. Exactly. No leadership, really, in terms of, yeah, moral exactly or right. social or anything, really. Well, and you uh, wanting what, to win. And you can see what not having leadership has done. Now, all of a sudden, if you don't wear a mask, you're a Republican. If you do wear right. a mask, you're a Democrat. Frankly, if you don't wear a mask, it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you're playing Russian roulette. And not only that, you're playing Russian roulette with me. And I don't necessarily want to do it. You wear a mask to not only protect yourself, but to protect the people you're around. Where, when did this country become so divided? that in a crisis, we can't seem to figure out how to pull together to defeat the crisis. You know, it used to be that, at least in my family, we would argue like cats and dogs in the family, but if we were ever attacked from the outside, we were all pulling together to fight off the, the, the attack. That used mm-hmm. to be what I thought America was. Now, we're gonna, if we fall apart, it's going to be because we are falling apart from the inside out, not from the outside in. Mr. MC? The divide and conquer strategy. Let me interject this. Let me interject this. Uh, and, well, don't don't feel sorry for me, Mayor, but can uh, your bow tie fit under the mask? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the mask only comes down below my chin. Okay. That's <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in there. But also, something as important as people relishing the vote, as well as the Census Bureau. We were supposed to have a young lady uh, who was my fifth district council person be on that, but something about the show must go on. So how do you feel about the Census, uh, Mayor and uh, Attorney uh, Warner? Mr. MC? Yes. This is Scott. Uh, could you maybe have your person from the sentences Call me on 314-277-0621. That might work. Okay, if I can reach her, that's my problem. Well, she tried to call in, and it wouldn't work with that phone. So so if we could have well, it. Let's see if we could, the people, we, we might have to do something with her again. We're going to do that every week. Let's see what the people we do have. Uh, let's get the ideology on how important uh, registering the vote. And I don't know when the last state to register for the November 3rd general elect- uh, election, as well as the importance of the census. we got two capable individuals on the line with us now that hopefully they can tell us exactly what to do. Now, for the future person, uh, hopefully they'll join us, but that's not till uh, 545. So let's continue with what we have. Very good, sir. Okay. Well, I would defer to the mayor. Uh, to, I'd be interested to, to see what Mayor James has, uh, what feeling about the census and how important it is, and Donald Trump's uh, kind of efforts to thwart well, the the bottom line is, is that uh, the census is absolutely vital to the distribution of federal tax dollars back to the communities from whence they came. The, the, the census, it creates the 
numbers and the uh, matrix necessary to decide how many representatives you get in the House of Representatives, how much money comes back to your state. It also has an impact on a, low, on a, on a statewide level of being one of the things used to uh, redistrict the state by population shifts. And the, as we know, this state is so gerrymandered that there are some places where the only people who run for office are two Republicans against each other. There's not a Democrat in sight. So those things are all important. Every those, those are the little things that don't take any time that we as Americans absolutely have to do. The last thing to register uh, to vote um, is uh, October 18th this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm sorry, that's by mail, uh, by online rather. And if you do it by mail, the last day is October 6th. So you still got a little more time. But the bottom line is, is that you not only need to register to vote if you can early vote where you are, if you can absentee vote, do that so that you're not standing in lines on the 3rd. Try to do anything that you can that doesn't require a mail-in vote, because that seems to be the attack that's going to be taken to try to challenge the election. Why else would you be removing mailboxes? Right. In the mail <laughs> it's crazy. Well, they're removing mailboxes, and guess where from? Cities. Not countries. Right. Cities. Why? Because there's more Democrats in the cities than there are in the country. This is so transparent. It is a flagrant attack on, on the democracy of this country. It really I never is. thought I would see such an open, flagrant attempt to suppress the vote and to ensure an election in the United States. That's the kind of crap you see uh, in third world countries. Right. This is, and, and we cannot let that happen. No. We can't let that happen. What kind of legal maneuver do you think Democrats should take in order to... Uh, prevent from, from, you know, trying to um, mess with the post office. Well, you know, here's the problem. At this point, I don't know if there's a case that's right, because, you know, they, they couch this as uh, just a reshuffling for economic, for financial things. But then again, they're taking out seven, uh, what is 617 mail sorting units out of, out of buildings. Mail sorting units sort 30,000 pieces of mail an hour. Right. And if you don't have those to sort 30,000 pieces of mail, and you've already cut down the number of people working at the post office, and you've already limited overtime hours, how the heck is that going to happen? They're doing this on purpose. Oh, and doing it on purpose, and I think also to try to just uh, create apathy in people. So they just say, gosh, it's so hard to vote, I'm not even going to bother to try. Well, and, yeah, uh, it's not only so hard to vote, it's like, it's not only hard to vote, I'm not going to only be standing in a line, it's going to be cold, and the COVID is still out there. Right. Yeah, it's crazy, I mean, to, uh, you know, um, harm people's lives in order to try to win. I mean, really, it's just, he, he tells you everything that he's doing <laughs> Unbelievable about Trump is that he blatantly just says, "I'm doing it," and then you know, there we well, have he, it. He told us who he was before he was elected. We knew who he yeah. was, and he still got elected. And I still don't understand it, but it happens. And if we aren't paying attention, it can happen again. 
important. And see, that's where the Democratic Party has to get refocused. We can't just talk about how bad Donald Trump is or how bad the Republicans mm, exactly. are. Exactly. We, we have to say what we're going to do and how it's going exactly. to affect your life. That's exactly what has to happen. People are tired of talking about the politicians and having the politicians destroy each other. That doesn't solve their problem one bit. Tell them how you're going to help them. How are you going to help them? Exactly. And that's one thing that I loved about President Obama was that he really, that was his strategy all along, and it was an authentic strategy. He never went negative. He was always telling people what he wanted to do. Um, and that's something that I think made him so beloved to everybody is that, you know, he was giving them positive messages about what we can be. Um, yeah, so... Well, and, and he got some things done, but not nearly enough. And, and, and the reason that he wasn't able to get more done was because the system itself is broken. They, it they is broken. Don't forget, you know, uh, even Democrats were against Obamacare. Okay? Yeah. Uh, it, Obamacare became most important after Donald Trump started trying to take it away. That's when everybody started loving Obamacare. Uh, right. You know, but... If you don't, you might remember that that uh, man on the street thing where they did, where they asked people, which do you like better, Obamacare or the uh, the uh, the Care Act? Yeah, the <laughs> Affordable yeah, Care the Act. Affordable yeah. Care Act. Well, I like the right. Affordable Care Act. Why? Because it's cheaper and it's, yeah, you know, not and, Obamacare. And, <laughs> and they and they didn't know they were the same damn thing. Right. But you didn't see that any Democrats out on the stump defending it because they had their fingers in the air waiting to see which way the wind blows. Politics before people. They should have been people before their politics. How do we get out of that? I, I guess that's my, that was my initial question, wasn't it? How do we get out of that quagmire of just, you know, having politicians follow the money, follow the, the vote, whatever they perceive? you know, people are going to vote for them. How do we get out of it? Do you remember what happened when when uh, when they tried to take part the uh, uh, Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, that's the first go-around, and Indivisible uh-huh. and a lot of organizations went absolutely ballistic and forced them to back down and forced the Democrats to stand up? That's the right. type of activism we need on the street to get things done. That's number one. Number two... And I don't know, and, and frankly, I don't have an answer to this because I don't think any of the politicians will vote for it, and that's the only way to do it. Have to get money out of the system. There should be public finance of the major yeah. campaigns, okay? Because really, I don't know if you know this or not, but you actually have to raise a certain amount of money if you want to be on certain committees in Congress. So if you want to be on the top drawer committees, you've got to raise over millions of dollars in order to put into the party coffers to do that. And where are you getting those money? Do you think you're getting it by calling up your friends in Kansas City on the east side and saying, hey, can you send me $50? No, that's big money coming in from lobbyists and special interests. So if you're relying on them to give you the money to get you on a committee and for you to stay in office, how soon is it going to be that you're going to turn around and do something against them? But the things that we're talking about don't require that. What there's, there's an, you can push child care, early childhood education, 
changing the intermediate education system, working on the system of portable benefits, working on infrastructure. You can do all of that without getting into that morass of the lobbyists because it's not a big government program. It's policies and working collaboratively with business in order to achieve the purpose. It's doable, right. but you've got to have the guts to want to do it. Mm -hmm. How do we get the guts? First of all, it's got to be people pushing. Because, you know, one thing I learned in office, you know, we spent some time, we spent a lot of time sometimes trying to get council to do what we wanted them to do. But if we really wanted the council to do what we really wanted them to do, the first thing that we did was we got the public to want that done. And if right. the public wanted it done with the council, then the council would do it. There were often times where they complained about how many emails they got, how many phone calls they got, how many times people were telling them what to do. But at the end of the day, that's exactly the way the system is supposed to work. The public has to demand what it's doing, and then the public has to have the guts that if people don't do what they want done, they vote them out, period, in the story. Power of the people. Yeah, that's true. I think we're seeing, you know, power of the people working with uh, Black Lives Matter. I mean, that to me is a whole social contract issue uh, that feeds into, you know, your philosophy. You're one of your five tenets. I, I think, uh, you know, we're at a precipice here, and hopefully, um, you know, the Democrats will listen to the um, ideas that you present in the book and uh, will seek to make some meaningful changes, because I think you have a lot of really important things to say about politics and getting away from politics in order to make profound social change. So, well, and you know, and that's, that's, why, that's why Winston and I are recruiting opportunity Democrats, you know, ah. and, 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 that's, and an opportunity Democrat is nothing more than a Democrat that is pragmatic and wants to get problems solved by doing things that make sense. It's just that simple. You don't have to be on the left or the right. There's a big war. The best way to avoid the war between the left and the right is to work on things that actually matter, like taking care of our kids, taking care of our infrastructure, taking care of our businesses, and allowing people to grow uh, economically and having economic parity and equity. The biggest, mm -hmm. one of the things that would fix the racial problems the most in mm -hmm. a lot of instances is fix the economics so that black people aren't trailing in every economic indicator behind white folks so that there is equity there. So if you've got a, if you're making a good living and you can afford to do some things, that's going to help you solve some problems. Not going to help the problems in your heart, but it might help the problems outside. Right, right. Wow. Well, it has been a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Um, I, boy, I, uh, I've learned a lot. I hope the listeners have, too, because um, I think uh, you've got a lot of important information to give to the people. So what are you going to be doing during uh, the Democratic Convention? Um, are you going to be an observer? Are you going to Milwaukee or... Not going to Milwaukee, but we are trying to get uh, our word to various people in the Democratic Party. Uh, we, we have a couple things planned. The agency that we're working with is planning some things that we're going to try to do to get 
the word out that this is something that we want uh, them to talk about and consider as they're putting together their plan. So we're going to be active in trying to influence policy, and we'll see what happens. Cool. So you said opportunity Democrats. Are you looking to kind of groom candidates, or is this about grassroots, you know, opportunity Democrats? Tell me about that. This is, this is really grassroots at this point, okay, because, you know, the, the, the book, the ideas are still fresh, but we figure that if we can get a group of people in this country to look at look at government in a way that we're trying to describe it as building in opportunity for everyone to increase their situation, to improve their situation. Just provide opportunity. You know, nobody's looking for a handout. You don't have to put money in their hands necessarily, but you do have to give them the opportunity to succeed. If we can build in opportunity to what we're doing so that people can grab it and build on it and be entrepreneurial with it, that will help solve a lot of problems. So opportunity Democrats are people who believe that it's time to get away from the east or from the left and the right, the war of this and the war of that and the partisan divide and all the bickering and the fighting, and focus on building in opportunities for the people of this country so that we That's all it is. Well, how do people get a hold of you or your co-author in order to say, hey, Hello? Hello? Thank you very much, Mayor. Don't go anywhere, Miss Warner. 
I won't. I okay, won't. we want you to, uh, we want you to call on this other person because we seem to have some type of little, uh, uh, uh All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Hello? This number is 829-0814. Oh, 0814, area code 816? Yes. And who is this? Who, who am I calling? Vincent Alexander, a publisher and book writer. Three books. So Vince, I missed part of that. Vince? Vincent Alexander. Alex, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Well, I'll try to get a hold of him right now. Thank you, Ms. Warner. I found the device. Let's see I'm still here, Mr. MC. Your caller tried to call on the other phone number, and uh, I'm guessing that your co-host is now trying to get a hold of him. So...
Mr. MC. Okay, let's get you back on. Who is this? This is Scott Owen. Oh, we, we got it working. No, you don't, because I'm not broadcasting it. You're not? No, that's what I'm... Yeah. I, what do you want us to do now? Well, you can just talk. Your microphone is on now, and everything is good. Okay, I can... Okay, hold on. There you go. City, here I come. They 
got some pay the little women One day I'm gonna get me one Hello. Hello.